0: Welcome to the Bible in the News. Our apologies to our regular listeners for missing last week's edition. This week, we look to Germany at the heart of the European beast and the question posed in The Economist, will Germany now take center stage? See the article, Germany's Role in the World in October 21st, Economist. Well, over the past few weeks, developments have taken place which are of great interest to Bible students. When Napoleon plunged the beast of Europe into darkness, the scriptures predicted its latter-days rise in Revelation 17 and verse 8. The beast which thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Well, The beast that was equates with the Holy Roman Empire begun by Charlemagne in 799, initially ruled from Aachen, Germany. It was not when the Napoleonic Wars swept across Europe and sent it into the bottomless pit or the abyss. However, it shall ascend out of the bottomless pit. Eventually, it will go into perdition or destruction after it shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome it, In verse 14. Well the Holy Roman Empire was the first Reich and lasted approximately a thousand years. Germany was reunited under Otto von Bismarck who brought in a unified currency and was to serve as the first Chancellor. The Second Reich or German Empire lasted from 1871 to 1918 and was ruled by the Kaiser. Kaiser is the German form of the word Caesar. Germany's ambition of dominating Europe began and ended in the First World War. The Weimar Republic was established following the end of the Second Reich. It ended with the democratic election of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party, who immediately outlawed all political opposition and established the Third Reich in 1933. Germany's ambition of dominating Europe and the world began and ended in the horrors of the Second World War. Well, since World War II, Germany has lived under the cloud of its Nazi past, including its ambitions of world domination and the final solution. However, the Economist article that drew our attention stated, Germans have not forgotten that their country was the author of the horrors of the 1930s and the 1940s. But, states Renata Kocher of Allensbach, a polling firm, they want to draw a line under the past but Germans are no longer ready to be put on the moral defensive or to view the Nazi era as the defining episode of their past. Even non-Germans are willing to move on. Germany still atones, but now also preaches, usually on the evils of debt, the importance of nurturing industry and the superiority of long-term thinking in enterprise. Others are disposed to listen, "'Everyone orients himself towards Germany,' says John Kornblum, a former America ambassador." Quote. In summary, the Germans are willing to forget their past, and so are many others in the rest of the world. Ironically, we are approaching Remembrance Day in much of the Commonwealth, otherwise known as Armistice Day, commemorating the end of World War I on November the 11th, 1918. One of the most famous poems celebrating this day was written by Canadian John McCrae and reads, We are the dead, short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw the torch, be yours and hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. The irony cannot be lost in the words, Take up our quarrel with the foe. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep. Well, the sad fact is, all those who fell in Flanders' fields will sleep a perpetual sleep. What is perhaps a little more disconcerting is that they died in vain. Germany dominated Europe during the Holy Roman Empire. It was defeated by the French. Germany again tried to dominate Europe during World War I. It was defeated by the Allies. Germany tried a third time to dominate Europe under Hitler. It was defeated by the Allies again. Now it is set to dominate Europe again. Is everybody asleep or perhaps a little drunk? The Economist article referenced above continues. The German question never dies. Instead, like a flu virus, it mutates. On the eve of the unification, some European leaders worried that it would resume killer form. We've been beaten by the Germans twice, and now they're back," said Margaret Thatcher, Britain's prime minister. The writer dismissed this Thatcher's comments as comical. We wonder if those who lie in Flanders fields, those buried near the beaches of Normandy and across Europe, would find the present situation comical, knowing they died for nothing. One thing is obvious, the author of the article is not a Bible prophecy student. Well, the fallout from the world economic crisis has created a different looking world, according to the same economist article. The crisis has created a new pecking order, at least temporarily. Germany with its high competitiveness, low-debt economy is on top. The rest are having to adjust, including France, traditionally a joint leader of the European project. This is unsettling. You get the enormous sense of German self-righteousness, which is very difficult to take, especially when there are solid foundations for it, says Francois Heesberg of the International Institute for Strategic Studies. End quote. Well, as the king of the hill, we can expect Germany to use its clout to turn things in the direction it would like. The Economist article went on to state, An American diplomat believes it, that is Germany, is still trying to decide what its foreign policy in the 21st century should look like. Germany is becoming more normal, meaning more willing to use its strength and to accept responsibility that goes along with it. Germany's goals and aspirations are becoming clearer. I quote, Germany is claiming leading positions in the EU institutions. Ms. Merkel's European advisor will become secretary-general of the European Council. Axel Weber, now head of the Bundesbank, is favored to become the next president of the European Central Bank. So with Germany as the king of the hill in Europe, economically, and seizing control of the economic levers what are we to expect? Remember the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules. Well, what madness could these frog spirit vomiting powers be up to? Well, that became apparent during the past week. Germany has convinced France to back it as it leads the way to reopen the Lisbon Treaty, to make new adjustments. In the same October 21st Economist, under the headline Why the European Union is Talking Again of Renegotiating Its Rulebook, the following was stated, and I quote, Brussels' favorite game has been restarted by President Nicolas Sarkozy of France and the German Chancellor Angela Merkel. At their summit in the French resort of Duval, Where they also met Russia's Dmitry Medvedev this week, they declared that in order to deal with future debt crisis, it is necessary to revise the treaty. Well, Germany wants changes made to the Lisbon Treaty to add more control and remove more sovereignty from member nation states, including the the loss of voting privileges for those who break the rules. Well, Revelation 17 verses 12 to 13 describes the member nations of European Union as ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. They give up their power and strength, which when you examine the meaning of the words includes the power of their wealth and their power to govern. The European Union is also described in Daniel 2 verses 41 to 43 when it details the last phase of Nebuchadnezzar's image as "...the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron. The kingdom shall be be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of iron. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken." And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as the iron is not mixed with clay. It is of great interest to Bible students to read passages describing the kingdom being partly strong and partly broken, and then hear statements like this one coming from the same economist's article The EU's members are part integrated and part sovereign and the contradictions cause inevitable upheavals. Brussels' instinctive response to the threat of disintegration is further integration. Europe may not be in a state of permanent revolution, but it is in permanent renegotiation. Not only that, echoing the words we read from Revelation 17, the insecurity of Germany is described in the following terms. And I quote, Despite examples of leadership, Germany's overall direction is obscure. It is torn, intrigued by its new possibilities, but painfully aware that, alone, it does not count for much in the world. Its population is already shrinking. Europe will lose economic and demographic bulk relative to China, India, and Brazil. Now remember the words of Revelation 17, verse 12. Ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Individually, they don't account for much. The remedy? A collective union. Give their power and strength to the beast. The article continues, Guy Verhofstadt, a former Belgian Prime Minister who now leads the Liberals in the European Parliament, said, It shows we need one voice. Fear of war launched the European project he hopes that fear of irrelevance will drive it forward. Continuing, press for Germany's vision of Europe, Werner Hoyer, an aide to the foreign minister, says it is to secure Europe's success in a globalized world. That means deepening economic integration dismantling remaining barriers to the single market and dealing with other powers through Brussels and not national capitals. It is in our interest to convince them that the gateway of Europe is European institutions, says Mr. Hoyer. He thinks Europe must globalize its foreign policy if we don't want to be bystanders. These are indeed exciting statements coming out of the mouth of the beast and echoing the prophecies of scripture which are in process of being fulfilled. Well, in all this, we can't forget the writer of the beast. We read in Revelation 17 verses 3 to 6, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon the scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. For the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration." End quote. We know this is the Catholic Church headed by the Pope. We are to expect his hand to be secretly directing the reins of the European beast. In his encyclical Cartius Inveritate, we see his hand maneuvering the leaders of Europe who are described as committing fornication with the harlot. He writes... Development, social well-being, and the search for satisfactory solution to the grave socio-economic problems besetting humanity, all need this truth, meaning his direction. Without truth, without trust and love for what is true, there is no social conscience and responsibility. The social action ends up serving private interests and the logic of power resulting in social fragmentation, especially in the globalized society at difficult times like this. Well, the Pope is calling for social conscience and responsibility being injected into the global economy, and the German Chancellor and the French Prime Minister are suggesting reopening the Lisbon Treaty to inject responsibility and fiscal constraints. Hmm. Well, the Pope continues, In an increasingly globalized society, the common good and the effort to maintain it cannot fail to assume the dimension of the whole human family. That is to say, the community of peoples and nations in such a way as to shape the earthly city into unity and peace, rendering it to some degree an anticipation and prefiguration of the undivided city of God. Hmm, what is the Pope calling for? A global society with a common good, where peoples and nations are shaped into an earthly city, which in his mind is the kingdom of God, a great city? Doesn't the harlot reside in a great city? Was not the Holy Roman Empire called the kingdom of God, or Christ's kingdom, commonly known as Christendom? Well, the Pope goes on, in our own day, the state finds itself having to address the limitations to its sovereignty imposed by the new context of international trade and finance, which is characterized by increasing mobility both of financial and or financial capital and means of production material and immaterial. This new context has altered the political power of states. Today, as we take to heart the lessons of the current economic crisis— which sees the state's public authority directly involved in correcting errors and malfunctions, it seems more realistic to reevaluate their role and their powers, which need to be prudently reviewed and remodeled so as to enable them, perhaps through new forms of engagement, to address the challenges of today's world. So the Pope calls for public authorities to reevaluate their role and powers and remodel them in the way that, while well, he can engage or control, the Pope composes the words. The leaders of the European choir sing the song. It certainly sounds like they're singing out the same hymn book, or perhaps it's simply the same frog spirits coming out of their mouths, croaking the same tune. The Pope is riding the beast holding the reins, and establishing himself as the European moral authority. He says the church's social doctrine has always maintained that justice must be applied to every phase of economic activity, because this is always concerned with man and his needs. Thus, every economic decision has a moral consequence. Obviously, he sees his justice as the ruling authority that must be applied to every phase of economic activity, and why not? Is he not in the saddle according to the scriptures? Well, as Germany reemerges and Europe agrees to reopen its treaty, as the Vatican dictates its version of responsible economics, we are watching the players of Revelation 17 take their positions preparing to make war with the Lamb. We need to be putting every effort into preparing for the coming marriage of the Lamb and make ourselves ready that we might be granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Revelation 19, verses 7 to 8. Tune in next week for another edition of The Bible in the News.